having lunch with some pastors back in January. And it was pastors from a lot of different types of religious backgrounds. And there's this movement of, of people fasting in the month of January. And I participated in that, um, this whole idea of like we've starting the new year out and all that. And so one of the pastors was talking about that. And he made this comment. He said, wouldn't it be great if the whole church fasted and prayed at the same time? The whole church around the world. And one of the more liturgical oriented pastors at the table said, yeah, it's called Lent. <laughs> Those of us like me, I'm a little slow in understanding the church calendar, and we lean into it when it's appropriate and biblical. And so we started on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and now this is the first Sunday of Lent. And it's a chance, it's an invitation for us to um, join the church around the world in preparing for Easter. So for 40 days... If you exclude Sundays, because Sunday is a day of celebration, of celebrating the resurrection of the Lord, you have the opportunity, if you so choose, to give something up. It could be food, a portion of food. It could be alcohol. It could be Facebook. Boy, could we? Could we at all? It could be some form of technology. Or you can take something up. You can take up extra reading or extra service to the community. And the idea is this prepares us for Easter morning when we then enter a new season of celebration. So today I start, I'm starting a series uh, called Contradictions. And we're going to look at some contradictions um, that we choose. Like when we choose Jesus, we get to choose one thing or the other. Obviously, we choose Jesus when he's chosen us and we respond to salvation. But with decision after decision after decision, we get the opportunity whether we're going to choose the life of Jesus or we're going to choose something, something that brings destruction. So today's contradiction is life and death. I want us to see what is before us. When I was in seventh grade, I was entering the youth group and I went to a lock-in these were the days when teenagers would stay up all night long. I don't think many lock-ins happen anymore, but you were, the idea is you were locked into a facility. It started out like gyms, and you'd play basketball all night. At this point, it got a little more sophisticated. We were locked into the local bowling alley. And we were locked in, and, and it was kind of a big deal for me because it was like I'm entering you know, out of elementary into the teenage years, and I had grown up in the same church, and so some of the older kids in the youth group, like I was friends with them when I was kids, but now they were like high school studs, and I'm here with this junior high kid, and I want to impress them, and they're kind of including me and kind of not, depending on the situation. So th there was a lot on the line. I mean, and my little 12-year-old self, a lot was on the line when it came to this lock-in. So we're at the lock-in, and uh, some of the guys I looked up to said, we're going to play this game. We're going to see how strong we are. And this is a technique that's going to happen. And this is what we're all going to do. When I say go, we're going to see how long you can squeeze your, sorry, how long you can squeeze your chin. All right? Like this. All right? So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. So I just, with all my heart, I was being included with my friends. And so they said, one, two, three, go. And so I'm squeezing my chin. I can't show you because I'm going to block my mic. I'm squeezing my chin as hard as possible. And so is everybody else. And then people start dropping off little by little. And guys, I'm doing great. 
squeezing this chin as hard as possible. And, and then they start going. And then it's down to just two of us, you know, and they're cheering me on. They're like, go, 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 go. There's a countdown. And so I'm just thinking, this is awesome, man. I'm just like arriving. I, I am like becoming one of the dudes, one of the guys here at the lock-in. And finally, I was the last one. And I let go of my chin. And I was so proud. And when that happened, everyone looked at me and broke out in the most hilarious laughter. Because, guys, I had the biggest hickey that went right down here all the way down my throat. The joke was on me. No one else was actually squeezing their chin. They were all mimicking it. And, man, I was, I mean, it was like, you would have thought we won the state championship in basketball. I mean, people were just going crazy and laughing. People were coming up to me. What's going on? So the whole youth group was gathering up, and they're pointing at me. And I had this big old thing right here. And yeah, I thank you for the sympathy I hear out there. So here's the problem. It was the beginning of a lock-in. Not the end, not the middle. I had all night with these people. You couldn't text mama like some people do now, right? I mean, I remember the days before cell phones. You had all, you just, your parents dropped you off and you saw them 12 hours later, that, right? Y'all, some of y'all remember that, okay? We didn't have helicopter parents all the time. Oh, baby, you've got a hickey on your chin. I'll come get you. No way, man. That was just, it was just, just me and my terrible looking hickey till they came and picked me up in the morning. So it was a rough night and nowhere to go, locked in. And I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. And so because I was embarrassed, what I wanted to do was hide. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to hide, but I couldn't go anywhere. And I hope you enjoy that story. It's pretty funny. Uh, but, but I was thinking about that in a more serious manner. Like that's kind of a safe example of, of shame that we have. Because a lot of us, you know, we feel like we're marked by a, a bad decision. And a lot of times those bad decisions aren't done willfully. Sometimes a bad decision happens because circumstances, and and we were maybe tricked into it, or we didn't understand the situation, or we were inexperienced. And it's one thing to make the bad decision, and and that moment when everyone laughed was a little bit humiliating, but then to have to live with it the rest of the lock-in, the rest of the night. And some of us, I feel like we feel locked in, and we feel like we can't hide, and we can't escape because of some shame in our life. And, and that's, a, that's, that's a tough feeling. And the Lord wants to address that today. Because shame is a form of death. We, we, we feel like death is occurring to us when we're in shame because we want to hide. We want to hide who we are. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to see who we are or where, we, where we're at. And so the Lord, the Lord's here to, to help us with that today. Because my first observation from the lectionary scriptures that we're looking at today is through Jesus, we have life. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Instead of shame from others. This is what Jesus has. Every single one of us has felt shame from other people. And that can be debilitating. It can can help us stop right in our tracks. It can... It can cause a wound. It can cause a pain. It it can cause something that we never, never overcome. Let's look at the scripture that Danielle's already read for us today, but we can look at it more particularly. Psalms 25, starting with verse 1. Lord, I turn to you. 
My God, I trust you. Look at this. Don't let me be disgraced. Don't let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. As part of the reason we have weekly worship is we want to keep turning your hearts towards God. Keep turning your hearts towards the Lord. Because if you don't turn your heart to the Lord, you're going to live with the shame of mistakes you made. As every single person deals with that. Look at this prayer. My God, I trust you. Don't let me be disgraced. Don't let my enemies gloat over, over me. Some of us have given way too much power to enemies in our lives. You, you have someone in your life, could be a family member, could be a coworker. I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless. It could be someone from your past who they have power over you because they put shame on you and they put shame on you that God hasn't put on you. And so you've hidden the true you, the true person that God's made you to be. You, you've hidden that person and you're not fully living. See, that's what Jesus is presenting to us, life or death. And life says, Jesus, you're going to give me life over the shame of my past, the shame of my mistakes, the willful shame and the unwillful shame. I mean, there's stuff that we do on purpose and there's stuff that just happens to us. And, and it's, it's always sad to me when someone is innocent, but they're still ashamed because they've been victimized. That, that is maybe the, the part of sin that's so difficult see people who are so ashamed and they've done nothing wrong and something's happened to them and the Lord the Lord's saying turn to me turn to me turn to me and I will be the one that will help you overcome what you perceive as disgrace God sees as opportunity opportunity for you to turn to him to know him to love him more as I was meditating last night and praying over this message uh, I remembered an incident that I had long forgotten. And when, when I was in early elementary school, I participated in a bullying incident. And, and I had forgotten about it till last night. And guys, I did not want to tell you about that this morning. I'm not going to tell you the details. And it, it, was, it was nothing that is scandalous in the sense of newsworthy. In fact, an authority figure saw what was happening and intervened and restitution was made almost immediately. But I, I like to tell stories about um, little Aaron who came out of the womb, when I used to be a little, who came out of the womb ready to pastor people. Right? You know, my mom goes to church here. My sister come to church here. They, they come to the next service, and they're just such a blessing to my life. And I've heard them tell some stories about me, about being a little precocious and, 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 and having some pastoral qualities even when I was younger. And they, those make me feel good, right? It makes me, because it makes me look good to you guys. It makes me look good. But I would say every person sometime in their development did something that they're really, really embarrassed about. Because we, we have a sinful nature in us. And there's stuff we just want to forget. And thank God, through his forgiveness, he throws those, he throws those actions into the sea of forgetfulness. But under the anointing, under the prayer, he brought this to memory today. 
And so, so I share it with you. I share it with you because earlier in this week, I, I, I wrote this Facebook post, and um, it, it was something that I felt was helping to give moral clarity to some of the just confusing times we're having with a, with a shooting in Florida and more recently in Kentucky, not far from us. And it was, it was kind of cool because, like, dozens and dozens of people shared it to their Facebook. I have never had anything like that. Maybe, maybe I haven't looked in a couple of days, but, well, maybe 80 people, maybe, maybe it's 100 now, I don't know, who took my writing and my article and shared it on their Facebook. And, hey, you know, it, it felt, it felt, it felt kind of good. Because, I, because, you know, I, I want to be that voice of moral clarity, and I hope with the Lord's help I can, I can be that. But I don't want to tell you about the little kid who did something that was just, was just mean, and I didn't really have noble reason to do it. I did because it, it felt good. It felt powerful. Here's a reason why the Lord wanted me to share this with you today. Everyone has things about their past that is shameful and that we regret that we willfully did too. Sometimes it's stuff that's happened to us, but, but I, I know this. Every single human being has done things that are shameful and they wish they hadn't done this. And the enemy who the scripture tells us is the accuser like he wants to accuse you and say, that's who you are. And look what you did. If you hadn't done that, look what would have happened in your life. And he's going to bring these memories to us. He wants to keep you in the past. He wants you to keep you in the land of regret. But that is a form of death in your life. God has called you to repentance. And once you repent... Once you repent, once you turn from God, once you truly turn to him, yes, you may have a memory of that past, but the Lord doesn't have a memory of that past because the Lord doesn't judge you as your sins deserve you to be judged. So today, as we start this Lent season and we're consecrating ourselves to God, is there life or is there death? Write this down. Jesus offers us a life instead of personal regrets. Life instead of personal regrets. And I know every person in here, maybe with the exception of some of our children who are here, but I know every single teenager and above can relate to this next scripture. This is the heart of someone who loves the Lord. This is a heart of someone who's had a taste of holiness. This is a heart of someone who has found true love that's greater than the darkness and greater than the wickedness um, that is in our world when we're left to ourselves without God. Psalm 25, 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. Are those not beautiful words? The heart of the prayer that says, don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't remember the ignorance. Don't remember the outright rebellion. Don't remember the lack of perspective that caused me to take shortcuts when I should have been more disciplined and should have had more character. And keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness. And when Beth led us in that song earlier that talked about the goodness of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord is that which infuses us by his grace. 
So when we sing these prayers, and she brought that up, that we're not just singing songs, we're not just mimicking the radio. We have these anthems that are coming out of our spirits, and we're singing, the God, you are good, you are good. And you're saying that because you've been good to me. You haven't treated me like my sins deserve. You haven't let me stay in regret and stay in shame. And guys, I'm telling you, it's time to move forward in the Lord. It's time to move forward in the things of God. It's time to to move past the mistakes of the past and move into what God has for you today. And we can do that. We can do that when we begin to connect with his presence. And part of what Lent is, is a time of introspection to say, God, listen, my life is, 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 is fading. Um, we're only here in this life for a short period of time. And from ashes to ashes, that's it. So God, I present myself, Lord, would you transform me? Would you shape me, God? God, would you make me the man or woman you call me to be? God, will you... Fill me with your spirit. And that can't happen if we stop at the place of shame or stop at the place of regret. So he calls us forward. One time, Beth and my my whole family and her extended family, we went on tour um, at Butcher Holler, the home of Loretta Lynn. It It was quite interesting because this is not your typical tourist attraction where you can get you can get a tour bus back there. This is kind of like go down there, turn right at the barn, turn left at the dirt road. There was a handwritten song that said this way, something of that nature. So we, we come to this house and there was this, this uh, really nice older man who gave us a tour. He opened up the house and he began to tell us stories. And I just was really enjoying this guy. I mean, he was really, really good. Um, his name was, was it Herman, Beth? His name was Herman. So Herman was really, really good. He knew his stuff. And there was only maybe 12 of us or so. And we just really enjoyed our time with Herman. And not, not too long into the tour, five, ten minutes, uh, he said, yeah, um, yeah, Ma used to do this. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? Ended up that that was Loretta Lynn's brother who owned the house. Someone, we had called him earlier in the day and said he'd given tours. And he said, yeah, meet me at 2 o'clock. And so we met him there. And here it was. It wasn't just a tour guide. It wasn't just an hourly employee. It was the actual owner of the house. And the owner of the house could tell us more about the house than anyone who had just read about it. And, man, it was a fun, fun experience. I thought about that story when I give you my last point, which is a little more positive, is when we choose life through divine leadership. Life through divine leadership this is God leading us. <laughs> this is great. It, 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 it made me think about the Loretta Lynn story. The owner knows, he knows it better than just someone passing through. Just one who is temporarily, temporarily keeping. And our Father who knows us, who created us, who created this world so that we would come to enjoy him and to know him and knows our tendencies and knows our weaknesses and he knows the stuff we're ashamed about and he knows our hopes and aspirations for the dream. Guess what, guys? He's our leader. God is leading you. Isn't this wonderful to know that this relationship we have with God, we don't have to wonder if we earn his favor, then maybe he'll give us some leadership. God is leading us even before salvation. And then when we, when we become saved, he leads every aspect of our life. He'll lead you as much as you want him to. He really will. I remember this. I've shared this before. I didn't think I would share it today, but I remember the question used to come up and like, like uh, should, should you pray about what car to buy? Does God care if you buy buy a, you know, black car, a blue car, a red car. 
And we, we heard this pastor one day say, no, God doesn't care about that. You can just pick whatever you want. And my wife, Beth, brought up a great point. She said, you know, the problem is if we start including God in those details of our life, we'll exclude, excluding God in those details of our life, we'll exclude him in the bigger details. So I'll just say this, is God will lead you as much as you want him to. He'll lead you as much as you allow him to. I believe that. The whole thing, well, let's not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Have you really ever met someone who's like that? I mean, someone, you know, okay, some of you are shaking your head yes. I I would say no. I I would say they're a little cray-cray another way, okay? Because, like, go for God, go for his presence, go for spirituality, and, and, and the spirit will lead you into the most attractive becoming life. I'd say those people that we're probably thinking about are most likely full of pride and they're trying to uh, get their identity through like being the spiritual guru and always calling people out and Jesus juking people and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but man, if, if, you, if, you really, if you really let the life of the spirit lead you in every single thing you do, it's gonna go so well for you, you'll change the world for God. Psalms 25, verse eight through 10, the Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows that part. He shows sinners the way. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't show sinners that um, they're wrong and, and tough. No, he shows them the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenants and decrees. Well, we've spent time in the Psalms today, but our Old Testament reading today reminds us of God's promise after the flood. Genesis chapter 9, starting with verse 11. I confirm my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped away by the waters of a flood. There will never again be flood, a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, and I, I underlined this part, this is a sign of the covenant I am making. God makes the covenant and we receive the covenant. We don't make the covenant with God. We don't say, okay, God, I want to serve you. Here's my conditions. God, I want to serve you. Here's the setting which I will serve you in. God, I'm going to serve you. And let me tell you what our agreement is. No, God says, the sovereign, all-powerful God says, I, I am making this covenant. This is a covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures. Water will never again become a deluge to destroy every creature. This is a beautiful, beautiful statement. That's why every time we see the rainbow, we see the love of God. We see the promise of God. And, and here's what God did. He, so, so at one time, the earth was destroyed through the flood of waters. But now through the waters of baptism, the world has been redeemed because of what Jesus has done. Now we go under the waters, not for our sin to only be destroyed, but we go into the waters and we come out of the waters, a new creature in Christ because of what he has done. First Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God. 
This is what God's doing. He's leading us. It's the leadership of God. God's saying, I am leading you to the place you're supposed to be. I'm leading you to the person you're supposed to be. I'm leading you, I'm leading you to the relationship you're supposed to be in. I'm leading you to me. It's what God has initiated with us. He might bring you to God. Now look at this. This, this ties us back into the flood after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Uh, so the, everybody goes, huh? What? All right, go back and read your Bible later. But this is talking about how far the love of God reaches, that the love of God, Jesus proclaimed his good news to people who were in prison, perhaps people who lived before the covenant. Isn't that great? Who in the past were disobedient. When God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removal of filth of the flesh. Like, it's not just a bath, he's saying, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why baptism is important. That's why if you haven't been baptized, if you have not had a believer's baptism in water, do it next week. Do it next week. Be, be like Philip that says, here's some water. We, usually the water's here. Here's some water. Why should not you be baptized? Why quit? Why delay? Why wait? Why wait for this per perfect circumstances that may never come? Because look, today is the day of salvation. The Lord is saying he is stirring your heart and there's going to be a release in your life. There's going to be a breakthrough in your life when you submit to the baptismal waters in obedience to the Lord. Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Let's stand together. Isn't this good? Isn't the Lord good? This is what Jesus did. Jesus was the example of water baptism to us. It says in Mark chapter 1, this is our gospel reading, so it's appropriate that we're standing today. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, this is one of the, the reasons we do baptism by immersion. He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove. Now here's that relationship with God. I want you to hear this in your spirit. I want you to feel what God has done to his redeemed people, his, 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 the people who have followed him. A voice came from heaven that says, you are my beloved son. I take delight in you. And I want you to know this is Jesus was a pattern for us, the perfect divine pattern for us. But the Lord says this, he has set his love upon sons and daughters. You are the beloved son. You are the beloved daughter. No more shame. No more regret. No more more living in the past, no more par uh, perilous from the uh, words that have been spoken over uh, from others over you. The Lord is moving you into a new day. And, and, and when we go to the sacrament, we go to the table of the Lord, we're saying, Jesus, I'm taking all of you. I'm laying down, Jesus. I'm laying down all of that guilt. I'm laying down all of those regrets, God. I'm laying down all of those wrong things that I'm ashamed of because, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. God, send your goodness to me. Lord, send your righteousness to me. God, send your loving kindness to me. Isn't our God great? Listen, that's why what we do in this service is big kingdom business. We don't just have church. We are the church. We don't just have a service. We have an encounter with God. We don't just come and listen to someone speak. We come and get transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We get transformed by the very presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord is here to transform you if you believe. Amen.